Well, some of my earliest and fondest memories were of being a young boy growing up in Southern California in Pasadena. And there's this one picture that I remember that for me just epitomized what it looked like to live in this small, beautiful, quaint, like perfect little world. And it's this. And so here I am with my family, the firstborn, the only child at this point. I'm at the beach and look at what I'm wearing. (laughs) My favorite shirt with Mickey Mouse from Disneyland. I loved Disneyland then and now. And I've got to tell you, it was sort of the thrill of a lifetime getting to go with my family, with Holly and Drew and Stella, a couple years ago to Disneyland. And of course, we hit the beach on the way, and, and, but just had an incredible, incredible time. So for my son, it was the, the, the roller coasters and, and the wild rides, and my daughter is more of a princess, and so it was meeting the characters and all that came with that, and she loved this little balloon that she got. For Holly and I, it was what we got to experience together. For her, the Thunder Mountain uh, that we was the one ride we did twice in a row, but for me, and I'm a little embarrassed to admit this, but my favorite ride was It's a Small World. Now, it's not because it was the most thrilling sort of ride, and it's not even because I enjoyed the experience with the puppets and all those things, but there was something about taking my little family in the happiest place on earth that this song that just made the problems that are going on in the world seem small. And if you've been in the line of this this, uh, particular ride, it's a long time, and this is towards the end of the day. We have a picture here of Stella, like, falling asleep on Holly's shoulder, But what's more important than the ride itself is the song. And you start to hear the song as you're getting closer. It's a world of laughter, a world of tears. So I said, hey, Drew, listen to this. It's a world of hopes and a world of fears. Hey, buddy, this song is going to go on throughout the ride, and you're going to hear it in, in every different language. There's so much that we share that it's time we're aware it's a small world after all. Now, kids, I know at home you know this song, and I think you would enjoy it, and your families would enjoy it. For those of you that are with families together, if we'd sing this together, and I know if you're in your room by yourself, will you join in singing this song, just the chorus? It's a small world after all. It's a small world after all. It's a small world after all. It's a small, small world. There's something about that song, that experience, where the problems in our big world slipped away for my family and I. And hopefully you've experienced a little bit of that in our time of worship and maybe even singing that song briefly today. I don't know about you, but our world isn't seeming small right now. In fact, it's seeming vast and scary. You see, we we live in a world where it doesn't feel like vacation. I mean, Disneyland is closed. There seems like there's more tears than laughter. There's more to be fearful of than to hope in. The small peacefulness of being unified today we seem to be more divisive than ever. And so just to think of that song, I've had it in my mind all week. Our experience is so different. It would have been nice to have lived in the time when that song was real, when it was made. 
And I was expressing this idea to the creative team and Sarah said, well, let's figure out where that song came from. And it was amazing to find out because the song was actually written during the Cuban Missile Crisis where the culture was experiencing unrest and, and feeling unsafe and, and all of those things. And so Walt Disney wanted to have a ride where all people could participate. And it was, the ride was originally called Children of the World. And, and then he commissioned his staff writers, the Sherman brothers. He said, I need a song. And he said it like this, I need one song that can be translated in many languages that can be performed as a round. And so they came up with that song, It's a Small World. Disney loved it so much, he called, took that name for the ride, and it turns out, according to Time Magazine, It's a Small World is the most performed song of all time. Isn't that amazing? It's absolutely astonishing. Now, I know we're experiencing difficulties. I know that the sentiment of that ride where we're all in this together couldn't feel further from the truth. And so I hope to speak words of encouragement from the scriptures and to our lives today. And so I'm wondering if you'll just pause with me wherever you are to ask God to join us in our time. Lord, the, the challenges and problems in our world seem so big and, and heavy and, and it seems like the walls that divide us are higher than ever and sometimes it feels hopeless. But God, we believe that you are bigger than all the world's problems, that you are good, that you are the Lord and Father of every person from every tribe and tongue and nation. And we believe that you are looking down metaphorically and that to you, this is just a small world after all. Amen. Well, it's difficult for us to imagine in our day the challenges and opportunities of what that first church was experiencing in the book of Acts, unless we think about this idea. You see, Israel and their religion was this small community, this small uh, nation that was being opened up to the broader Greco-Roman world that was full of a multiplicity of faiths and, and international borders and uh, diverse pagan cultures. And that's what the first church for the first time is engaging in. And so there's this small little group of believers that are engaging in this large world. And what they're doing is they're proclaiming the name of Jesus and what's happening is people from all different tribes and cultures are coming to faith in Jesus. They're coming in droves. And so this first church is looking at one another and they're like, now what? What do we do? And there's a unique church that forms in the city of Antioch that I think is beautiful and powerful and may speak to you and I today. And I wanna read about this account from Acts starting in 1119. It says, meanwhile, the believers who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch of Syria. They preached the word of God, but only to the Jews. However, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. The power of the Lord was with them, and a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. Well, when the church at Jerusalem heard what had happened, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw this evidence of God's blessing, he was filled with joy, and he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And many people were brought to the Lord. 
Well, when Barnabas went on to Tarsus to look for Saul, when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. Both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. And get this, it was in Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. It was in Antioch, right here, that the church was first called Christians. See, it's been an odd week for me preparing for the message because I knew I had a passage I wanted to speak from and and I knew I had a song I wanted to start with. And I felt like the Spirit of the Lord was saying, Antioch is a character in the story. So what is it about Antioch that made the city so unique for the first church? What was it about the first followers in the city of Antioch that that made it that they received the name from the outside world of Christians for the first time? And how did God use this church in Antioch to bless the world in that day and to bless the world in our day? Answering those questions is how we'll frame our time together. But before we do that, just because by now I'm probably boring the children, I have a quiz for all of us to engage in together, okay? It's testing your world knowledge of the largest city in the world today and the largest city in the world in the days of Antioch, of Acts that we're reading about. So you can do this at home with people around you. Uh, You can do this in the chat function. Just shout out your ideas. Do this with people that are around you or on the online chat. Okay, so first question. What was the largest city, or what is the largest city in the world? Is it A, Tokyo, Japan? Is it B, Delhi, India? Is it C, Shanghai, China? Or is it D, Disney World in Orlando, Florida? Do you have your answer? Well, the correct answer is A, it's Tokyo, Japan. So if you got that, way to go. So second question, maybe a little harder. What was the largest city in the world during the days of the Church of Acts around the time of Jesus, okay? So first, first possibility is Rome, Italy. Second is Alexandria, Egypt. Third is Antioch in Syria. Or fourth is Jerusalem in Israel. Okay, any ideas which was the largest city at that time? Again, the answer is A. So if you got A for both, you were right about the largest cities in the world. Here's why this is significant for our time, in addition to just having a little fun together. Antioch was not the largest city in the known world at the time, but it was the third largest city at the time. All roads led into Rome, the largest city, but it was Antioch that was sort of this hub for the known world from north and south and east and west where they would gather, where they would trade, and refugees would come from all sorts of places and take up roots in Antioch. And so they would unite and cloister together with people from their same location that spoke their same language. And so Antioch was made up of all these, we might even just call them boroughs of people who looked like them and talked like them. And and as you can imagine, with that kind of diversity and and things like that, what they experienced in that day, they experienced a lot of division. There There was strife and hardship, so much so that one of the rulers between all these groups of people from different places who spoke different languages actually built up walls between each little group. This is a uniqueness about the city 
in Antioch. And walls can be helpful. They can protect people. They're safety concerns and the like. But walls can also divide people. And so that happened in this extremely diverse city of Antioch. And pop quiz, any idea what the highest walls were in the city of Antioch? The walls around the Jewish people. The walls that separated the Jews from the Gentiles. Isn't that fascinating? So this is a unique place in the redemptive history of God, this small group of people who've banded together in the city of Antioch to lift up the name Jesus and worship him together. So what was it about this little group of the first followers in Antioch that gave them the name, the sort of nickname of Christian for the first time? Well, as you can imagine, overcoming these large divisions, not just in such a a diverse population like Antioch, but in one where there are actual walls built between people, overcoming those divisions with that amount of diversity was a massive challenge. There are cultural differences to overcome. There are racial tensions. There are economic disparity. There's interpersonal conflicts. I'm sure it was really messy. It was often awkward. They had to communicate through various uh, challenges in communication across language lines and cultural sensitivities and all of the things. There were so many boundaries and walls and obstacles. I'm sure many times they blew it. I'm sure there were plenty of hurt feelings and I'm sure on a daily basis, much grace and forgiveness was needed by all. But despite their differences, and I would even say because of their differences, a beautiful thing began to happen. As the safety of these little small worlds grew and they interacted with more of a large, broad world, what they saw was as the world got larger, Christ himself got bigger in their midst. And what formed was not people of this race or that race, this former religious faith or the like. What happened was a nameless community formed. A nameless, labelless community began to form. And so from the outsiders, they, 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 those who weren't part of this community, they began to see and respond and, and they actually gave them the name. There's this great little quote from Jonathan Swift who puts it like this in an article called Antioch, Its Significance. Why were the believers first called Christians in Antioch? Well, consider this. If some citizens in Antioch from every race and creed were putting their faith in Jesus, then people were literally crossing lines and climbing walls to worship with each other. There was a new identifiable group and it needed a new name. Jesus broke down the dividing walls so they could not be identified by their race or any of the other existing religious or pagan identities. What these people shared was eternally deeper than culture or race or shared religious heritage and the people of Antioch could identify them according to their shared transformed lives in Christ. Their new identity was in Christ. And this new transformed identity transformed their relationships. And as a result of that, the walls came down. 
They first climbed over the walls, got to know one another. Christ was lifted up in their midst, and when he was, that's when the walls came down. It's so powerful. It's so fascinating. It's so needed in our day. It's so needed. Well, how'd they do it? Interestingly, we don't know from the book of Acts. We, we see that it happened. We don't know how it happened. But what we do have is the rest of the scriptures and the New Testament in particular with how they learned, even across their divides, how to, how to interact with one another, serve one another, love for one another, forgive one another, care for one another. In fact, one another is one of the most used phrases in the New Testament, especially by Paul. So they learned, he learned during that first church experience that he and Barnabas has what it was like to love one another. So I'm not going to go through all of those verses, but thinking about them in their time and us in our time, I want to give you a few one another's that sort of get to the essence of what it looked like then and looked like now to, to love one another practically, particularly across the things that tend to divide us. But before we go over this list, I'd love for you to think about a wall around you. Now, likely, it's not a physical wall that's separating because of bricks or mortar, but think about someone who has a stance that's different than yours, or a person who has wronged you, or a broken relationship. Is there a wall in your life between you and someone else? Think about that situation and then consider ways that this first church climbed over those walls. And I'm taking a lot of just one another ideas and putting them to a few ideas for us. First, they leaned in to one another. Instead of standing on opposite sides or turning their backs as uncomfortable as it was, they leaned in to one another. The next thing they did, they had to lay their weapons down before one another. Now these probably at that time weren't actual weapons, but things, uh, biases that they had, hurts that they were nursing, all of these things, they had to lay those down for one another. Next, they had to listen to one another. They had to seek first to understand before they tried to be understood. They listened to one another. Next, they were able to learn from one another. They were able to learn from the diversity of cultures and perspectives. They were able to learn of God's grace and truth through that lens that maybe met a blind spot they might have had. They learned from one another. They had to lift one another up. They used their influence, whatever it was, to lift one another up even above themselves. And that had the effect of the greatest gift that we see from this church. They loved one another. They loved one another. They were so different. It was so different from the culture. They climbed the walls. They overcame barriers. There were no labels or divisions among them. And so the people around there looked and they couldn't describe them. But what they knew of them was they kept hearing Christ. It's about Christ, it's about Christ, it's about Christ. And so they were given the name Christians. So at the very heart of what's happening in Acts, don't miss this, they were called Christians for the first time because of their love. 
They were called Christians first and foremost because it was seen that they had a love of God in Christ that transformed their love for one another. That is how God used the church in Antioch to bless the world in that day. And it turns out he has used that church in this text in Antioch to bless the world in our day. Let's see how their story sort of continues and concludes. Meanwhile, the word of God continued to spread and there were many new believers. Well, among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, Simeon, called the black man, Lucius from Cyrene, Mannion, the childhood companion of King Herod Antipas, and Saul. One day, as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. So Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. Few quick important things about what's happening here. First, we see that the diversity of that culture took shape in the diversity of that church and it began to take shape in their leadership. And so what we see is we have Simeon, the black man, because of the color of his skin. And, and we have a couple Jews, Saul and Barnabas, uh, who have Jewish both faith and, uh, and ethnicity, but also have grown up in the Greek-speaking world so they can speak to different types of people. You have Mannion, who grew up in the household of Herod. Like, this is somebody who had all, like, sat in the lap of luxury but came to faith in Jesus. And, and then there's one other member who came from North Africa. There's this great, like they had been able to work through all of these things together. There are a couple things we don't see in this group. The first thing we don't see is a woman, and we'll talk about that in July. We also don't see a person who likely had light or white or fair skin for a very simple reason. The gospel had not been preached to those who had fair skin yet, but it would because the believers in Antioch would stop at nothing until the people of every tribe and tongue and nation had an opportunity to hear about King Jesus, to have his kingdom come and there, his will be done in their lives. And so by 150 or so AD, within about 100 years, the good news of Jesus went across the shores from uh, continental Europe to Britain, less than 100 years. And it started here in Antioch with that church who prayed and fasted and knew that the good news of Jesus was for everyone. And so the Holy Spirit told them, set apart Saul and Barnabas and send them out to the world. And the rest of Acts, we see Paul and Barnabas go time and time again throughout the known world so that everyone would come to know, believe, receive, and worship the one true God, and they themselves might become Christians, that Christ may be the ultimate thing about them individually and collectively. It's stunning to me. It floors me, church. Because Heartland, I wanna be like that. I wanna be like that church in Antioch 
Something that doesn't pride ourselves on being all the same, but that we're locked arms and that we're all in this together, where we don't always have to agree, but we're always willing to lean in, where we don't have to check our convictions at the door, but we're always willing to lay our weapons down, where we don't let conflict or walls divide us, but we learn to listen and love one another through that, where we aren't afraid to stand up or to take a stand for ourselves, but at the end of the day, we will use whatever influence we have to our greatest ability to lift others up. Yes, lifting others up above ourselves. Are you with me? I want to be like that church in our day because there's never been a day and a time that needs it more. There was a church like that in Antioch and we can be that church today. Where they defied divisions and labels, they climbed over every wall. They made Jesus first, and the world literally was never the same. What can we call those people? Well, I don't know, but I hear the name of Jesus all the time. So what should we do about this practically, each one of us personally, few simple ideas. First, find a wall that matters to you. Find a wall that matters to you. For many of us, the current context is, is illustrating a wall that's been there for a long time. That may be the wall that matters to you right now. But when I asked you to think of a wall, use the wall you thought of in your mind. Find a wall that matters to you and pray for that wall. Pray for others. Pray for the things that are going on. Look in the mirror and pray for yourself. Then, take time to see the person on the other side of the wall. Don't see them as being that outsider, that person that you disagree with or don't like or are having trouble with. Take time to put yourself in their shoes. Try to see the person on the other side of the wall. And take some time to do a Google search or look in your Bible at those one another's verses and see what the Lord might be asking you to do as you identify the wall and as you see the person on the other side. And then climb over the wall. Maybe difficult or awkward. You may stub your toe or skin your knee, but do what you can to climb over that wall. Reach out, make a phone call, ask to sit down. Whatever it looks like, in whatever the wall you identified, do that. Start climbing. Because that's where it begins. And these big things that divide us, someone has to take the first step. And we have to start climbing. And we have to get over the walls. And we have to figure out how to love and serve one another. And we learn that Jesus is the Lord of all and is bigger than these problems. And if and only if and when and only when we do that, will those walls come down. See, there are certain walls that seem generational, that seem like there's no way it can ever be overcome, that leave the entire world as if it's on fire and leave us all shaking in our boots. One of those times, one of those walls, historically famous, is that of the Berlin Wall. 
Shibu talked about World War II last week. And at the end of World War II, when the Allies won, Berlin, the place where Hitler was headquarters, was siphoned off into different communities. And a wall was built up between uh, East Germany, controlled by communist Russia, and West Germany. And that wall was big, and that wall was high, and it lasted years and decades, and then we had the Cuban Missile Crisis and all of these things. And if you lived during that time, it was such a crisis, there was so much fear, we thought, how in the world will that wall ever come down? And then, slowly but surely, as times and people changed, People saw that that wall mattered. They began to see the people on the other side. They began to climb over the wall metaphorically and even literally. And over time, that great wall came down. And there's this beautiful sort of picture image on the remains of that wall. It's still there today, if I'm not mistaken, where it's written in German and English, this phrase. Many small people in many small places doing many small things can alter the face of the world. Do you believe that's possible? Do you believe that can happen in the walls that are between us in our day, large and small, personal, societal? Do you believe that's possible? That our biggest problems are no match for the grandness of our God? But here's the thing, we can't start with the walls or the people on the other side. Like the church in Antioch, we need to go over the walls and interact with the people. But it's that name of Christ that gives the transformational power to allow us to do all those one another things that bring us together as brothers and sisters under the name and calling of Christ and then and only then will the walls fall down. Will the walls fall down. Jesus told us to pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so it might help us to consider what it looks like from heaven as God looks down on whatever walls divide us and the the things that separate us. What is true in heaven will one day be true on earth and God's bringing his kingdom and he will do so here and now. And we're told in Revelation that he'll wipe the tears from our eyes and there'll be more, no more sin or crying or separation or shame. And we're told that there will be one people. And here's the language of what we have to look forward to, that which is true in heaven, that through prayer and the Holy Spirit and doing what we can in our day, in our way, as many small people in many small places, this that is one day reality can be true today. It says, I saw a vast crowd too great to count from every nation and tribe and people and language standing in front of the throne and before the lamb. They were shouting with a great roar. Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the lamb. 
So that is true in heaven. Everyone is represented. And we're not just like one like glob of people that have no distinctions. No, those things make us beautiful. We are in heaven. From every tribe and tongue and nation and language, we're there in worship of Christ who saved us and unites us, having power of, over sin, death, and hell, and power over all of those things and the ways they wreak havoc today. And what we're told of this great throng of a heavenly people is they begin to sing a song. And no, that song isn't, it's a small world. But not unlike Walt Disney's little catchphrase, we need one song that's translated in many languages that can be sung as a round. And this is the picture that we get when we read of this beautifully diverse one community of heavenly saints singing the song of praise to God the Father, to the risen Son, in the presence of the Holy Spirit, where they sing amen, blessing, and glory, and wisdom, and thanksgiving, and honor, and power, and strength belong to our God forever and ever. And they join with the angelic host, and they sing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Church, Jesus can overcome the walls. It is in him and only in him. But we first need to get Jesus as the front and center thing in our lives. And then we need to love people like he does. And then we need to climb over the walls. And I believe he will bring every wall down. And any wall that is remaining at the end of time, we know will be gone in heaven. And so I'm wondering if wherever you are, you would stand and join in song as we do our best using our voices as individuals and families and little groups of people wherever we are to join not just together as Heartland, not just to the churches worshiping around this time right now, but to that angelic song that's being sung in heaven that is true then and God can make true in our day, in our lives, in our way. What's the wall that matters to you? See the person on the other side. Climb over that wall and Jesus will bring it down.